Good day, and welcome to the Pandemic Show. Stories of the Pandemic for people living in the Pandemic. No one is alone on the Pandemic Show. Thanks for joining us as we unite humanity through stories of hope, connection, and community in the face of the global pandemic. We are all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Thanks for taking a moment to like, subscribe, and follow the Pandemic Show on social media. Today we're transcending time and space to St. Catharines, Ontario, nestled on the banks of Lake Ontario. Who are you? My name is Dave Sanderson. Dave, thanks so much for joining us here today on the Pandemi Show. Groundhog Day is less than a week away. This is our last episode before Groundhog Day, and are, what are you predicting from the local groundhogs? Uh, early spring, late winter? Uh, I think, didn't Wyerton Willie pass away? Uh, the pandemic show has been on this story since the get-go. We asked for proof of life on social media in 2020. When none was forthcoming, we decided not to make a stink. Although, maybe that's what Wyerton Willie deserves. It did come out just a couple months ago that he did pass away. I think it was of a tooth abscess. It very well could have been a tooth abscess. So my prediction is we're going to have another six weeks of winter just because we don't have any rodents to predict it for us. <laughs> I'm going to put I'm going to put all my faith into Lucy the lobster in Nova Scotia. I know she didn't make a public prediction last year. Uh, the whole thing got coveted, um, but apparently she's alive and well. And really in tune with the currents. And it'll be exciting to see what she predicts. I'm going to go early spring because I think in the fifth wave or whatever wave of Omicron we're on here in Southern Ontario, spring can't come soon enough. But we're having some wonderful winter weather. It's below zero. The ground's frozen. Nice crisp days. So we are having some beautiful winter. The ponds are frozen. Great for skating. But let's go back in time. What was your life like pre pandemic well i was thinking about it and i think like a lot of people i kind of took for granted some of the things that we just did all the time that have changed so drastically like going out to a sporting event or a concert or something like that to casually go out with ten thousand people and not have to worry about it pre-pandemic i was working i worked with uh adults who have intellectual disabilities so i was doing i called it work but it really was a lot of fun. I was going to Wonderland. I was going to museums and water parks and all this kind of stuff with clients and going for free and getting paid to do it. And it was a really good job. And yeah, season one of the pandemic shut that all down. Season one of the pandemic shut that all down. Bingo. The pandemic struck. Your, your job totally changed. You were supporting people on field trips and getting to go to some pretty, pretty amazing locations and helping people and having fun. How did that change when the pandemic struck? Did it all dry up or was it more like doing things inside, face shield, face mask? Yeah, it was a lot of that. Everything was outside. If I had anybody in my vehicle, they were in the back seat. 
they had to have windows down, all masked up and all that stuff. Plus all the venues were shut down. So I spent a lot of time in provincial parks, going on hikes, nature walks, that kind of stuff. You just saying that it's made me think of a major connection in my life about how the slower pace of life, especially initially, really helped me kind of connect with the natural world around me and it got me outside more how do you think nature's impacted people's life through the pandemic yeah it definitely has been for me too being out in nature is it's a kind of therapy and i think a lot of people are reconnecting with that during this pandemic and it's a stress relief it's it releases dopamine you get to see a lot of beautiful things Sometimes you see an animal, sometimes you just see a nice tree. It's calming, it's soothing. I'm recording this interview on the traditional territory of the Chang Angten, the keepers of the deer, the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabe. And I just wanna share something special that I learned recently about the Chang Angten. And if you've been listening to the pandemic show, you know when we didn't start land acknowledgement season one, I think land acknowledgements came in somewhere in season two. And we were calling the Chang Angton the neutral people. We've since read a great article from the Air newspaper that taught us that the neutral was a colonial term and that the, like the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabe, the proper term, their term is Chang Angton and it's the keepers of the deer. They controlled the flint mines. So they made flint arrowheads and spear tips and all those types of things. And it was the Chang Angton the keepers of the deer that were that mined it and crafted it. It's interesting part of Southern Ontario's history. And now apparently really? they're the Chungunctin, the keepers of the deer are, are no more, but I'm sure they live on in their ancestry. And I'm just grateful to have learned that. And to here in season three of the pandemic show, recognizing the truth that's come to national prominence in Canada around the Kamloops 215 and in the silence around residential schools and genocidal policies. As a settler ally, I think we're both trying to be settler allies. As settler allies that we're trying to be, it's not bugged me, but it's been on my mind every time you do your land acknowledgement, you say Haudenosaunee the wrong way. <laughs> Can you, thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. Yeah, I think you say Haudenosaunee. It's Haudenosaunee. 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 Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I'm sorry for being a stickler. Please don't apologize. You know, this is a complex conversation. Learning a new language, learning about your neighbor's culture is important. It's a very sensitive thing. And being in a safe environment where people can correct each other, because I'm trying to show respect. And I know if I'm saying someone's name wrong, that's disrespectful, especially when you can correct it. So thank you so much. You're welcome. So your life changed from a work perspective. You were working with adults with developmental issues. You were taking them on trips. You were giving depth to their life. You were caretaking. And the pandemic changed all of that. You found that you've been spending more time, not at amusement parks, sporting events, music concerts, all important cultural activities, but now out more in provincial parks. How's that been? Well, during the first season of the pandemic, it shut down entirely at the beginning, like everything did. But then in the summertime, we were able to get out and do a few more things. And then when season two started and the numbers started climbing again, it just shut off entirely. We couldn't be outdoors because it was getting too cold. There was just very few options for what we could do. So I was laid off. And since then, things have changed even more because I've connected with a new partner and she has three kids who are under 10 years old. So that's been a steep learning curve for me. Well, that sounds exciting. 
It really is exciting. And at the moment, my position is I'm a teacher, I'm the cook, I'm the school nurse, but mom's still the principal. What has homeschooling been? The littlest one, she's only four years old, so she can't even be vaccinated yet. The other two have their first shots. But the homeschooling part, it's it's all right. It's I need to learn how to be a better teacher, I think. I think we're in the fourth wave, which is the Omicron wave. But it's weird. Like, we've got these vaccinations. Most people, 80% are vaccinated here in, in Southern Ontario. Maybe 90, double vaccinated. People starting to get triple vaccinated. The kids starting to get vaccinated. But this Omicron has been so powerful. The hospitals are at capacity. And I think the real stinker now is how many delayed healthcare procedures are occurring and in between the second third and fourth wave they shut down so many so much capacity around testing and around to getting the jabs in the arms it's kind of like we we got complacent and now it's almost worse than the initial ones but we've had so much adaptation where there's more access to personal protective equipment and it's not there's not as much gouging around it but now when you go to the grocery store like the the bag salads shelf is empty but it's like it's it's the end of january in southern ontario it's minus 20 outside the fact that we're even buying bag salad it's so it's it's just like a fantasy compared to 100 years ago where people where people here where we are what they were eating in the winter it's it's phenomenal are you seeing any shortage shortage or supply chain issues where you live with your family at this stage of the pandemic Uh, locally i haven't noticed much of anything a few items here and there aren't stocked but i mean it's just a matter of time before they do get stocked nothing is run out and like it's fine i know we're at the part of the pandemic here in canada where there's anti-vaccine truckers driving across the country and it's kind of polarizing i can get my mind around conversations i've had with friends that are unvaccinated where they have serious health concerns you know they've got young families they've got serious health concerns and they believe in what they're doing so strong and they're so concerned about their health that they're willing to lose their jobs and all of these other types of things but they're not getting militant and driving trucks across the country It seems like it's based more on fear and anxiety. How can we bring these two different perspectives? Like I I raise animals. I give them vaccines. I've been vaccinated my whole life with whatever I needed to do. I open my Christmas presents. I don't know what's in them. (laughs) And then you see people are protesting the hospitals. In some places in the United States, they're drinking their own urine. I don't know what to expect next in the pandemic, but I feel like it's getting better. Well, at the same time, there's a truck rally driving across the country. I don't know how many trucks are actually in it. It seems to be a real interesting coalition of the alienated. Well, it's just a rehashing of the Yellow Vest movement. There's a lot of the same. Could you just tell people who might not know what the Yellow Vest movement is? I believe it's a movement out of France. It started in France as a coalition of people who wore yellow vests in solidarity with police and other government workers. So it got taken over, bastardized here by a group of right-wing people who just didn't want anything to do with the government in in their lives. So that is metastasized in different ways. There's correlations between the Proud Boys, other Oath Keepers. And these are groups that are affiliated with white supremacy ideology. And the Pandemic Show is proud to take an anti-white supremacy stance. The Yellow Vest Movement, a group with a predominance or 
a group that's known to have white supremacist links. Uh, that's kind of manifested into this anti-government, we're alienated kind of movement. Yep. And they mask it in the language of freedom and equality for all. But these are a lot of the same people who, when the Wet'suwet'en would block a single pipeline, they'd be calling for the state to come in and arrest everyone or threatening to run them over themselves with their trucks. It's kind of hypocritical in my eye. I was just thinking about it today because it's really in the news here in Ontario. But I almost feel like it's just a very vocal minority of lost souls that are kind of fearing, getting caught up in the anxiety of the pandemic. It's led to an opportunity among some white supremacist groups to infiltrate these larger groups of minority groups of alienated Canadians. I think the pandemic is making me think that 20%, 10, 20% of Canadians really feel kind of abandoned almost more than COVID is how do we get it so we all feel inclusive and connected? Because I think some of the biggest heroes in the pandemic are the Canadians by choice. The the newest settlers to Canada are friends that speak multiple languages from countries around the world and they're not white. So I feel like they're, they're heroes. They've been working, doing the low paid jobs. They want to make a better world, better life for their families. Like everybody else and these white supremacist organizations like the proud boys and the other ones that you mentioned they just don't get it and they just want to spread their hatred and fear and it's a shame it is if you're talking about winners and losers in the pandemic a lot of those people that you're talking about the new new settler canadians they're generally racialized they generally work in low-paying jobs and they've taken the brunt of this pandemic much much more than settlers that are white and privileged so who are some of the other winners and losers dave from st catharines in in this pandemic something that's changed the world well there's a couple of ways of looking at it there's winners in terms of in my eyes the people who deserve some of the most credit are the frontline healthcare workers the people that kept the grocery stores and stuff open but in terms of monetary gain it's the billionaires that are winning now the losers i've already mentioned you know some of the racialized people who are in sort of lower end jobs that have to work to make to put food on the table it's glaringly obvious when you see the numbers from like the population centers and what the demographics of the cities are that are hardest hit it's generally racialized people and new Canadians. And I should also mention that Indigenous people are incredibly hard hit as well. With the Kamloops 215 and Canada almost standing still for a moment reflecting on the atrocities of the past, do you think it's going to just keep being status quo? Or do you think kind of the sleeping giant is awakening? There's no denying residential schools are bad. The documentation... Well, there is denial. There is pe- There are people who to this day deny the impacts, the negative and- impacts. Stand corrected. Absolutely. But in my mind, Murray Sinclair and the Truth and Reconciliation Report, the truth is there. It's it's irrefutable. The government's position is clear. It was racist policies based on exploitation. Some people, I hear what you're saying, deny it. And so there's still a lot more educating to happen. There really is. As personal to this story, my partner's grandfather attended a residential school. He read her stories. When he was a child, he dug graves for his fellow students at residential school. I can't wrap my head around that. Powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Well, of those 94 calls to action that the TRC recommended, I think something like 17 are partially or fully implemented. It's disgraceful. 
Yeah, I mean, just today, they were, the uh, announcement from Williams Lake in northern BC, of, they found another 91 reflections, not confirmed bodies, but resumed graves of children. It's now approaching 10,000, I believe, human yes. remains at these at the schools. I read a little bit of the, the public inquiry volume, the overall analysis, and it said that the residential school model was based on the British industrial school model where they would put poor children and train them for the workforce or indentured servants or whatnot. It is some important history and hopefully it's coming back in the classrooms. And I think that's where the intergenerational change, like this is the long game. It's not the short game. I feel like I know the Oka situation and the whiskey trench that was in my lifetime. I was like 12 or so that was in my lifetime. And now you see more indigenous youth and leaders and it seems like the healing is happening. The growth and development is happening. But yeah, I think it's going to be a long haul and it's going to be it's going to be those young children in your life and the young children in our life that are going to reap more of the rewards of this reconciliation process than people are now. Just this summer learned that Terry Fox's grandmother was Métis. And how many more stories are we going to hear about how intertwined everything is? And, and then I guess when we get right down to it, all the this exploitation was based around land, mineral resource, land extraction, all those types of things. And the treaties are pretty clear that there's supposed, it's a two-way street. And then it seemed that the Canadian government stopped making it a two-way street, made it a one-way street, and it seems like it's going back to a two-way street. So it'll be interesting to see the progress. Now, obviously, it can't come fast enough. True. Um, but you show me one of those numbered treaties that's been followed, and I'll sell you some land in Florida. And like you said, it's a work in progress, and I look forward to a brighter future, if, if not <laughs> to just stay out of despair. What have you been doing to stay positive? We do trips. We go out and about and do stuff, but like... Uh, during the summertime of season two or just before season two of the pandemic, um, we were doing a little bit of, you know, outdoor stuff. We went to a mutual outdoor gathering, socially distance, appropriate gathering, that kind of stuff, you know, just get, trying to get back to some kind of semblance of normal, even though it's not going to snap back to the way it was. As we move into the third, the third season of the pandemic, Groundhog Day, days away. You're thinking late winter. I'm hoping early spring. What do you hope the world is like in after times? Well, I think some things are never going to go back, but some things that are going away, and we've already been talking about it, is the blatant ignorance about Indigenous issues. It's, it's no longer acceptable to just pretend that it's not happening or to be ignorant. It's in your face. It's in the news all the time. It can't happen fast enough. It makes me think of a conversation with Susan Coswin. Uh, we talked to her a couple of weeks ago about the donut economy and the outside of the donut is the natural constraints of the planet. And the inside is the social, the income inequality, the structural racism, how we treat our elders. What do you hope? Best case scenario. The Jetsons. And people can gather. Wages people go can up. Gather. At the, wages come down yeah. at the top, go up at the bottom. We move from a disposable economy to a more uh, circular economy where we use our waste and reuse things rather than just have them break after a year and throw them out. Yep. And that a lot of those things are incorporated in uh, indigenous ways of knowing and doing. Uh, getting back to the land is very, very critical for a lot of people. You made me think a lot about where the pandemic's going. And I really hope 
that it's going to where we can gather outside safely this year, season three of the pandemic, and we can start getting together inside. It's going to be so important that people with different perspectives, backgrounds get together and that we listen and talk to people who are different from us and the people who are suffering the most. And we've got to figure out how we can collectively ease the suffering. Yeah, it's like you said, it's a work in progress. I wanted to ask you something. I wanted to change up this interview a little bit. Hot diggity dog. Okay. So I got three questions for you. First of all, I understand you work with children. What is the best way to homeschool a nine, seven, and four-year-old? I am an online remote teacher. I do kindergarten. And I think you got to keep active. And I think you got to get out of the house and get out into nature. And it's repetition. It's doing things over and over and explaining things and routine. I think routine is important. Breaking a sweat changes your whole mental situation. And I know when I feel sedimentary at the house, I got to just get up and move. So I encourage young people or work anyone working with young people, people get them moving, get them sweating, stick onto a routine, do a lot of social things like walks and incorporate that into your learning and cooking, the culinary arts and music and being creative. And personally, the pandemic has really, that, especially that first part, that first wave or two, I started doing poetry. I started doing this podcast, which I consider an art project. And I've started painting. Now I do paint at a kindergarten level, but, and, and going to your interests and finding out what the children want to learn about. You can get great resources from your, your schools, online libraries. You can get re- great resources from your public community library. And there's, there's no better role modeling to, for a child to learn to read and write than to see the important adults in their lives reading to them and writing with them. Great question. Great wow, Dave. Thank you. And thank you for your advice. Stories of the pandemic for the people of the pandemic. No one's alone at the pandemic show. Goats, fun and or delicious. Goats are both fun and delicious. Now I know it is a controversial topic that most people are so disconnected from their food supply. They think water comes from the tap. They think food comes from the grocery store. But, you know, guys like me and you that aren't afraid to butcher up, butcher up dinner or to raise it. We know that goats can be a lot of fun, mischievous little stinkers, really cute and life of the party when they're little. And then they get big and they're a nuisance and they're a safety issue with their horns and all, and their rambunctious behavior. But there's no greater meal than a curried goat or oh, yeah. a rib on the loin cooked on the coals, oregano, salt, pepper, lemon Oh, I follow your social media. (laughs) Yeah, both. And also, I am looking right now for a goat to turn its hide into my next drum. Oh. From field to fork to musical instrument. Perfect. Using all the parts, right? I got one more question for (laughs) you if you're good with that. This is so much fun. (laughs) I was listening to recently when Ed the Sock was on, and he was very dismissive of your Star Trek appreciation. I need to know, how do I become an officer in Starfleet? Okay, good question. And I would like to say that I am actually wearing my Every Child Matters Starfleet uniform, and it was made with respect, and it was made for me as a white person to tell other white people about white settler ally ideas and difficult conversations but yeah ed the sock he's a negative kind of guy and you could join starfleet international with the low low price of five dollars we can sign you up for my ship and we can talk to diva designs in galt and she can make you your own outfit out of recycled clothing oh wow 
I'm in. We'll talk after the interview. Dave, I really appreciate talking to another Dave, to another white settler ally who's committed in challenging white supremacy ideology. And I want to thank you for coaching me on how to be more respectful and properly pronunciating Haudenosaunee. Thank you. Miigwech. Thanks for listening to The Pandemic Show. We're all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemishow.com. Be a part of our community by subscribing to and sharing The Pandemic Show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Pandemic Show is on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. Stories from the pandemic for the people of the pandemic. Do you have an interesting pandemic story and want to share? Email us at pandemishow at gmail.com. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to Giant Value for singing us in and letting us know everything is going to be all right. No one is alone at the Pandemic Show.